Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and we hope you're enjoying your weekend. Later, graduation time at Eastern Kentucky University, plus more on the school's consistent top honors as a college for military veterans. Now EKU has been recognized for the way it assists military spouses as well. What does it take to be a military friendly campus? EKU President Dr. David McFadden will join us to talk about that a little later. But first, the Kentucky Lottery has for more than 30 years now found a way to stay relevant, grow its sales, fund education, and make a few people really rich. How do you keep up the momentum with so many options these days? The new president of the Kentucky Lottery is Mary Harville. While she is new in the top job, Harville actually joined the Lottery's legal counsel back in 2004. Lottery President Mary Harville joining us on Kentucky Newsmakers. Thanks for speaking with us. We appreciate it. Great to be here, Bill. Thank you. And I guess congratulations on now being the president, right? <laughs> yes, thank you for a total of seven months. So you're off and running. Uh, you know, like everything else, uh, uh, the lottery had to adjust to the pandemic. Uh, at one point, uh, you told people to uh, make their lottery choices quickly in those retail locations and move on. Uh, how have lottery sales been during this historic time? Sales have been great. Now, I will tell you, we were a little bit worried when the pandemic hit, our sales took a dip, but a few weeks into the pandemic, we saw an uptick and that just continued and it got momentum and we are doing great. Um, a lot of reasons for that, but uh, the initial impetus we believe was that the casinos across the border closed and the racetracks closed and then basically all forms of entertainment malls and movie theaters and that sort of thing all closed. But the places that sell lottery for the most part remained open, grocery stores, convenience stores, and folks were coming in those stores and they were finding lottery products. So on the flip side of the coin, our staff, our vendor partners, our retail partners all worked together to make sure that those machines and displays were fully stocked with lottery products. And if folks didn't wanna go into the stores, we have online play as well. So fortunately, we were there when the people were looking for other forms of entertainment. And of course, the challenge now is to keep it up. Well, Mary, and there'll be some more competition as we emerge from the, the pandemic. Uh, you know, uh, racetracks and, and uh, historic racing facilities are proliferating uh, in Kentucky now with more of those uh, coming online. Is there a finite number of uh, those gambling entertainment dollars available out there? Is that something that the lottery keeps an eye on? Well, we do, Bill, and absolutely, uh, people do have pretty much a limited amount of disposable income for all forms of entertainment, including lottery. But the challenge for us is just to continue to make lottery products relevant. So as those types of entertainment, racetracks, casinos, malls, movie theaters, as they have all opened up again, fortunately, our sales have continued to be strong. And we believe that folks have, for the most part, come back to lottery, rediscovered it, and discovered it is a really entertaining, um, it's really an entertaining product. How so you, the challenge is up to us to make sure that continues to happen. And how do you keep it relevant and, and keep people engaged and willing to play? You know, it was a fascination uh, three decades ago when it first started, but how do you get young people uh, now to, to roll into becoming uh, lottery customers? 
Well, we talk about it every day because what interests people one day certainly won't be what interests them the next day. So we look at this all the time and have ongoing research. So interestingly, prior to the pandemic, the research told us that people primarily played for that top prize, that mm-hmm. jackpot prize or that high level top prize. But since the pandemic, what we're seeing is people play for the fun and entertainment of it. So we've refocused our efforts to make sure that lottery products are fun and entertaining. So you can be in the stores and you'll find fun and entertaining products. And you mentioned the younger people. Um, We want to make sure that those tickets are available in the stores, in the way, in the manner that people expect. For younger people, they don't carry cash. So we have vending machines and one of our new initiatives we're about halfway through that is to make those vending machines able to allow people to pay with uh, credit or debit card or Apple Pay. Um, and, and this is, of course, true online as well. But in the stores, we're going to continue to see that folks probably don't want to stand in line. Maybe they want to get to that vending machine. It will focus on awareness of the vending machines. Can you, now, can you on, pay out that way? Can you pay out uh, the, the winnings uh, through those uh, Uh, less conventional ways or uh, do do they get cash when they get their winnings? Well, that's the beauty of the uh, online channel is that folks that are playing online can cash there up to a certain prize amount. And at some point they will need to come into the lottery headquarters to claim that prize, but lower tier prizes can be claimed online. And then we have a network of retailers that they're called cashing agents. And we have even super cashing agents that can claim tickets for players up to $25,000. So they should just, players should just check at KYLottery.com for the nearest location to be able to cash that prize. We try to make that as convenient as possible for our players. Mary, there's always been this question. Uh, it, can you re- remain anonymous if you, if you win a big lottery prize? Well, the short answer is going to be no. And, and players should know the reason for this. Under Kentucky law, we are subject to the open records act and when a player comes in they are required to sign a claim form to claim that prize and their name will be on that form and if we get an open records request we will need to produce that but that is for the integrity and security of the lottery so it's a good idea to have that not be anonymous now if you're a player and you truly don't want the coverage we will try to the extent possible to respect that if you're a big winner that's going to be very difficult to do and we've got a lot of good folks in the building that will counsel our big winners about how to go about it and be with uh, the players every step of the way but uh, it is for the security and integrity of the lottery that that we do this so no uh, generally cannot remain completely anonymous because as you know we are subject to those laws when kentucky voters approved the lottery by constitutional amendment back in 1988 it was promised that the proceeds would go to education and then there was some controversies in the years that followed about where is that money going how much has the lottery lived up to to that promise or is it living up to that promise now more than 30 years since that first ticket was sold in april of 1989 Exactly, Bill, and the lottery has made a tremendous impact uh, since that time. What happened was about 22 years ago, the General Assembly got it right and made it clear that lottery proceeds would fund college scholarships and grants. And since that time, Kentucky Lottery proceeds 
have provided more than 3.8 billion, with a B, 3.8 billion in college scholarships and grants to allow Kentucky college students to stay right here at home to attend college. So we fund the popular key scholarship program, which is a merit-based program, and we also fund two need-based scholarships, which you can find out more about at kylottery.com. We also fund the dual credit scholarship program, which is for high school students to earn college credit while still in high school. And we fund the work ready program, which is for Kentucky uh, college students seeking associate degrees at the community colleges in certain uh, high demand professions. So with all that scholarship dollars being out there for the last 22 years, uh, now one in five Kentuckians has received a college scholarship or grant funded by the Kentucky Lottery. And that's a fact in which we take great pride. What does the future of the lottery look like, uh, do you think, as you go forward? I'm sure that's the, the question every day on the table is how you uh, keep it going, keep it relevant, uh, and then the, and, and continue to provide that uh, the kind of money for education that, uh, that it does. We have a very bright future ahead of us. We are quite confident. We have, as I said, we have both of those channels available for the people who want to buy in store. We know people are going to continue to go into the grocery stores and convenience stores. They're there now. Of course, they love online shopping as well, and we're there online if they want the products there. So we have every hope that our future will be bright and we'll continue to look at the needs of the players and be there for them if they're paying uh, with with debit or credit cards or if they want the touchless environment we want to be there and looking ahead we know that there are a lot of people that prefer the curbside delivery options and we're looking at how lottery can be a part of that and we know that there's a lot of locations where our players are where we aren't like those big box stores and we'll continue to look at how we can have a presence in those types of retailers. The challenge never ends. All right. So when you talk about, you know, being enticing, uh, you know, some critics say lotteries prey on those who can least afford it. What steps does the lottery take to make sure the customers uh, play responsibly and, and, you know, don't spend their, their milk or grocery money on tickets? Well, we do have a, that concern. We are always concerned about problem gambling, and we have a very robust program for addressing it through awareness. We have a program and the core of the program is the 1-800-GAMBLER hotline. That hotline number is on everything lottery, our point of sale materials, our tickets, our machines, and people will see that on our website as well. So if uh, an individual calls the 1-800-GAMBLER hotline, they can talk to a counselor or they can also text that line or they can even access uh, uh, through the chat feature of our website. So awareness is key here, and we will keep pushing the 1-800-GAMBLER hotline for the people who need it. We like to say that lottery products should be fun and entertaining, but if they aren't that for you, then by all means, get the help that you need through the 1-800-GAMBLER hotline. Mary Harville, the president of the Kentucky Lottery and CEO, thank you so much for uh, speaking with us. We appreciate it. Good luck uh, in your uh, tenure there heading up the lottery. Thank you so much, Bill. It was a pleasure. Same here. And stay with us on Kentucky Newsmakers. The folks from EKU have some news to share. We'll be back with the president, Dr. David McFadden, in just a moment. 
Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We're glad you're with us on WKYT. Eastern Kentucky University has been singled out over the years as one of the very top colleges in the country for U.S. military veterans who are interested in furthering their education. The website militaryfriendly.com gives the university based in Richmond its top ranking. And now the university is getting another related honor. There's some news on that. It all comes after an unusual year when students and faculty and staff masked up and powered their way through an academic year during a pandemic. And now graduation is on the horizon. Looking forward, Eastern has a new program to provide textbooks to students at no extra cost. Dr. David McFadden is the president of EKU and he joins us on Kentucky Newsmakers. Mr. President, thank you for being with us. Appreciate it as always. Great to be with you today, Bill. Let's talk about, uh, you know, what a year of sacrifice and history that this was for students uh, hoping to keep things going during the pandemic, and somehow you did it. Uh, graduation now in a couple of weeks. Uh, how did you pull it off, keeping things going and, and getting to this point? I think it's the hallmark of, of Eastern Kentucky University. It was a lot of hard work. Uh, we, we had an amazing group of people who were committed to, to having uh, an exceptional experience for our students this year. And so uh, we're, we're blessed to have uh, some public health experts on our campus. We've got great relationships with, uh, with our partners in Frankfurt and, and obviously uh, the policy leaders out of, out of the federal government. Uh, and so we've been able to, to have a very favorable experience here on campus with students living on campus, learning on campus. Uh, we've had a lot of virtual instruction as well. Uh, it has been a, a year of learning. And so uh, there were a lot of things that we said uh, could never be done uh, in in this uh, in the way that we've done it in the last year, but we've proven that we can. Uh, we did that successfully, but I will tell you, we are eager to return to the next normal, uh, which uh, which I hope uh, is one where we see a lot more interaction, uh, a lot more community building, uh, and, and opportunities for students to really experience the campus beautiful and, and all that we have at all. Would you say there's a hunger for that, both uh, from students and, uh, and and faculty and staff members who, who really want to, to have more of that face-to-face uh, -face interaction and and uh, ability to, to collaborate? You know, I think that uh, particularly for the faculty and staff and those of us who have kind of been here alone uh, on this beautiful campus for, for, you know, periods of time, particularly last summer, uh, we are really hungry to to kind of return to that because I think there's a certain cycle to to our uh, to our lives and to our profession that that there's a there's a normalcy and there's a uh, comfort that comes with that. Now I think for students uh, there are some who are who are absolutely eager for that and, and hungry to return. I think that some uh, have got a taste of some of this this instruction for online learning and you know we're going to do that too and we have been we've been leading in that space and so we're going to meet students wherever they are. Uh, we're going to make, uh, you know, we're going to focus on access, which we already, you know, we always have, and, and affordability. And so I think that we're going to have an amazing experience on campus. We're going to continue to serve students where they are and meet them uh, where they need us to be and make sure that they're able to get a degree uh, from EKU uh, so that they can go out and, and, and do what's next for them. This fall, you have a, a no extra cost textbook program that you'll be starting up. Uh, what will that mean? So we launched Booksmart uh, back in the fall. Uh, you know, candidly, Bill, when when the pandemic hit last year, you know, everyone was we were scrambling. You know, uh, you know, what does this mean? And you know, there was, uh, hey, this is going to be over in the summer, and then it's going to be over in the fall. And you know, as we came back in the fall, uh, we committed ourselves as a campus to to really trying to say, can we use this disruption as an accelerant for innovation? Uh, can we find uh, things, programs, opportunities? To, to really serve students in ways we've never done before. And that's really where the genesis for this idea 
of free textbooks for, for all of our undergraduate students came from. We, we tout ourselves as a school of opportunity. And as we looked and talked to students about what are the challenges that they face, not only during the pandemic, but before the pandemic, uh, we learned that you know the, the cost of textbooks was an impediment. It was a hurdle to keep them from, from getting out of the gates and being as successful as they need to be. We heard from our faculty that they worked uh, very diligently to try to find more cost-effective ways to provide instruction, and they still do. But, but really those textbooks are, are the best way to, to get those students to the place they need to be with the tools and the toolbox that they need to be successful. So we just decided if we're gonna be the school of opportunity, we're gonna invest in those students and we're gonna level the playing field and saying every student is gonna start the fall semester with all the books, all the tools and hands they need. Uh, if they'll bring the hard work, uh, we'll meet them there with the books. Well, picking up on that opportunity theme, even though I know you'll uh, let them in if they if they knock on the door even uh, close to the start of the semester, but uh, students are making those final decisions right now about where and whether they're going to college. Uh, they First, they have to decide, can they afford it? What would the return on their investment be? Uh, you're a college president at one of the largest uh, universities in Kentucky. Does it broaden their job prospects and earning potential to get that degree? Uh, absolutely, Bill. Uh, as a first-generation college student who came from far eastern Kentucky, I can tell you uh, that education pays, and uh, and it will it will allow you to chase your goals and dreams, uh, professionally, personally, economically. It's going to make a difference. Uh, there are there's absolutely growth out there in the marketplace for um, for positions that don't require degrees, but there is a lot of professions that absolutely require a four-year degree uh, and even a graduate degree uh, before you can enter into the door. And everything from nursing. Uh, to teaching, uh, to aviation. Uh, we, we offer all of those things and they are critical to our communities. You know, one thing I'll focus on is mental health. Uh, you know, the mental health crisis that is going on in our school systems and our universities and colleges and across our communities, uh, everything from uh, substance abuse to uh, suicide prevention. Uh, we are a number one leader in, in, in that space as an institution. And so uh, we know that we power Kentucky communities through our degrees. Uh, our students make a difference. Uh, and we're gonna encourage everyone who can to, to come out and, and work on that degree. And we're gonna make sure that we do everything possible to make it as affordable as it can be and make sure that you get across the finish line and have that degree at the end of at the end of four at the end of four years. President McFadden, uh, EKU has long had a reputation as a very being very military friendly. You have a national recognition to back that up. Uh, what do military students uh, bring to campus in terms of uh, experiences and uh, and a discipline that that might inspire other students? You know, Bill, as we look at kind of uh, the overall demographics and makeup of the student body, you know, we are rich in, in diversity uh, on this campus and, and our, our veteran and military populations are a big part of that. Uh, they represent about 11% of our total enrollment, uh, one of the highest of, of any school here in Kentucky. Uh, they bring uh, some life experiences and they bring uh, leadership, uh, you know, qualities and they bring things that really enrich the learning environment. While we uh, we depend on our world-class faculty to, to build great uh, programs and deliver great uh, course and curriculum, those students who are in the classrooms, whether it be face-to-face -face or virtually with those other students, they learn from one another. And we feel like that's a big part of what differentiates us here at Eastern Tech University. We may mention that uh, you have top honors from uh, militaryfriendly.com and now uh, you're getting recognition for uh, military spouses as well and, and, uh, and, and their partners being able to assist them uh, on campus as uh, well. Yeah, we are the first and only public Kentucky University to receive the military friendly spouse school designation. Uh, the schools that make this list are considered really at the forefront of supporting the goals of military spouses and military families. 
uh, our commitment uh, to our veterans, to their families, is, is unwavering. And so uh, we are excited to get that designation to be the only public school in Kentucky to receive that. And uh, we're going to continue pushing hard forward to, to serve those veteran students and their families uh, to the best of our ability. It is a critical uh, priority for us going forward, and we're going to continue to deliver on that promise. How do you relate to employers that, uh, you know, you have graduates who have not only completed their degree in an area of study, but also who may have uh, that uh, background within the military that, uh, that could be very helpful to their organization uh, going forward? Well, I think as, as we look when we have our, our job fairs, as we do our internship play, placements and co-ops, which is something that's really a big part of the Eastern experience. Uh, every graduating student, we try to put them in that real life, uh, real world experience before they finish that degree. Now for our veterans and, and for many of our veteran family members, uh, they bring some, some of those experiences with them to the table, but we don't have to really go out and convince the employers of that. They're coming to us and giving us that testimony and talking about um, just uh, what it, what a great opportunity it is to recruit not only Eastern students, but particularly our veteran and, and veteran family members who, who are part of the Eastern community. And so um, that it's a great uh, collaboration. It's a great connection. And we get great feedback from employers uh, just about how prepared, how professional, and how ready to make a difference uh, our graduates are, particularly our veterans. State assistance for uh, state universities uh, uh, has uh, been uh, less uh, in the last uh, uh, 12 years or so, uh, uh, to the point that uh, some refer to our uh, universities as state-assisted uh, at this point. Uh, did the state uh, legislature that just completed and the new budget that has come out uh, help in that regard? Well, I think that we definitely, uh, you know, can stop the bleeding, uh, Bill. And so, uh, you know, for the first time in a long time, uh, we saw. Um, us kind of stop the, the reductions in, in contributions for our public institutions. Uh, we saw some strategic investment that came through the performance funding model that has been developed here in Kentucky. Uh, and so I, I think that we're starting, I'm hoping we're starting to turn that corner uh, to see that reinvestment in higher education. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a tireless advocate uh, in talking to our policymakers uh, about the value of higher education, about how we are part of the economic engine for Kentucky. Uh, not only looking at the graduates that we produce, and here at, at Eastern Kentucky University, we educate more Kentuckians and put more back to work in Kentucky communities per capita than anybody else in the state. We're really proud of that. Um, and, and we're making a difference in those communities. And so I'm, I'm very hopeful uh, if we can see some positive uh, revenue um, projections for the Commonwealth, if we can see some growth for this state, that some of that strategic investment that they make in the coming years will be in our higher education institutions. And the governor came by uh, an extended part of campus recently to, uh, to the airport, right? Some money uh, for that facility for the aviation uh, would help the aviation program. Yeah, we, we've seen a substantial investment uh, from, from the General Assembly and from the governor's office and in uh, the Central Kentucky Regional Airport, of which Eastern Kentucky University is now uh, an equal partner with the city of Richmond, the city of Berea, and Madison County Fiscal Court uh, to, to really kind of uh, support the overall uh, airport and its operations, but, but specifically uh, to grow the only four-year flight program in Kentucky that is housed at Eastern Kentucky University. And we fly proudly out of uh, out of the Central Kentucky Regional Airport. Mr. President, about a minute left. Uh, you join a new uh, athletic conference uh, this fall and, uh, and, and start uh, a new chapter there at EKU. Yeah, we are excited about our joining the A-Sun this year. Um, you know, we have a long and proud history with the OVC, uh, but uh, like with other things, uh, as, as we saw the pandemic, uh, there are new opportunities and new places and new faces to meet. Uh, to be able to go out into to, to new markets uh, like Atlanta, like Louisville, 
uh, like uh, parts of Florida where most of our alumni are living, uh, it's going to give us a chance to, to showcase Eastern Kentucky University in a growing part of the U.S. Uh, it's going to give us a chance to recruit students from that area and, and to reconnect with our, with our 120,000 living alumni throughout the southeast. All right. Well, good luck with the uh, new normal, and uh, we hope that it is uh, fast in, in, in getting here. EKU President Dr. David McFadden, appreciate you uh, speaking with us and updating us on uh, what's happening on campus. Thank you so much, Bill. And stay with us. We'll be right back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT. This week, President Biden is hosting lawmakers from both sides of the aisle to discuss his infrastructure plan. But as Democrats and Republicans debate over roads and broadband, the White House is looking ahead to the nation's social infrastructure as well. Our chief national political analyst, Greta Van Susteren, explains. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. President Biden preparing to unveil the second part of his Build Back Better agenda. He's calling it the American Families Plan. The details are not yet finalized, but the Washington Post reports this plan could call for at least $1 trillion in spending. This new plan reportedly calls for expanding child care funding, paid family and medical leave, plus nutritional assistance. It would also invest in universal pre-K and tuition-free community college. But that's not all it would extend the expanded child tax credit through 2025. Under that tax credit, families are receiving up to $3,600 per child. This expanded child tax credit was part of last month's $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan, but it is set to expire at the end of this year unless extended. It's unclear how Democrats plan to get this new plan through Congress. They could potentially package it with the roughly $2 trillion proposed infrastructure plan, or they could try to push it through as its own bill. Right now, it's anyone's guess. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And remember that you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 11.30 on WKYT. Well, that's Kentucky Newsmakers. We want to thank you for joining us. And as we roll into Derby Week in Kentucky, we'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning. And updates always on WKYT.com. Make it a great week ahead. <music>